It's, uh, it's good to be with you guys. My name is Jeremy. Uh, I'm an elder and the ministry intern here, and I'm excited about uh, joining the Ecclesiastes study with you. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. If you need a Bible, uh, one of the ushers will be glad to bring you one. Uh, as you know, Ecclesiastes is what you would call wisdom literature in the Bible, and uh, we are going to take a look at wisdom uh, this morning. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 18. says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have inquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Bill Watterson, in my opinion, is a theologian. Uh, he was not only a theologian, but he also was a critic, a skeptic, a realist, a philosopher, and a teacher. And my education with Bill Watterson began at a fairly young age in elementary school when one of my friends introduced me for the very first time to one of Bill's systematic theologies. Rather than being titled Systematic Theology Volume 1 or Reformed Dogmatics or The Christian Faith, he titled his books a little bit different. Something Under the Bed is Drooling was one of them. Or Yukon Ho, or one of my favorites, Weirdos from Another Planet. I think one of his last ones was called It's a Magical World, or probably one of my personal favorites, Homicidal Psycho Jungle Cat. And I think Bill, in a big way, reflects upon life in general from a personal standpoint, much like the preacher in Ecclesiastes does. He's a critic, he's a skeptic, he's a realist, he's a philosopher, and he's a teacher. And from 1985 to December 31st of 1995, he provided a commentary on life as from his vantage point from through a famous first grade boy by the name of Calvin and his best friend, real only to him, Tiger Hobbs. Now, if you don't believe me that Bill was a theologian, I want you to know that Calvin was indeed named after the 16th century theologian, John Calvin. He tells great stories of their adventures outside. He shows how wise and discerning Calvin can be while at the same time making out to him out to be an annoying, mischievous, and stubborn little kid. Calvin, he's a genius in many ways, and he often reflects on life in a way that causes me to sit and to ask questions about what life is. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes does the same for us. Pastor Tim has done a great job introducing the book to us and showing us what Ecclesiastes has to offer. And our passage, in many ways, has to 
offer for us this morning confusion. It's not so easy to understand sometimes. And that is somewhat of the preacher's point. He summarizes his mission at the very beginning and offers his conclusion before the book really even gets started. As a king over Jerusalem, living in covenant relationship with God, the wise king of Jerusalem speaks almost by way of lamentations about the frustrations of life that we all feel. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to dive into the wisdom of the preacher this morning. And I wonder if Bill had just taken a look at our passage when he wrote his comic for July 6, 1995. Calvin hands a book back to his mom and he says, I read this library book you got me. And she said, what did you think about it? And Calvin said, it really made me see things differently. It's given me a lot to think about. And she says, I'm glad you enjoyed it. But then Calvin replies, it's complicating my life. Don't get me anymore. (laughs) And I think that's what the preacher did on his mission as he goes and he says, I'm going to find wisdom. I'm going to find purpose and meaning. And he says, "I, I don't really want it. One of the things that I love about Ecclesiastes is that we get to see the preacher's heart who was a very wise man who lived under God's rule and was still frustrated with life. What is life, he asks? He says, it's a mist. It's a vapor. It's a breath. What's the meaning of life? I don't know. There isn't one, seemingly. What's the point of of work and then home and then sleep and then work and then home and then sleep? and then work, and then home, and then sleep. The preacher, he was a royal king with great wealth and wisdom and experience. He was highly regarded as on, uh, and used his position to go on a great mission by wisdom to seek out all that God had given to man under the sun. If anyone had the means to go on this mission, it was this king. His conclusion, however, was perhaps not what we were hoping for, And not what he had hoped for. The preacher was excellent about showing the world under heaven for what it is. And teaching his audience about the meaning that can be found in life under the sun. On your note page, there's kind of three sections to this morning. Mission by wisdom is the first. The results of wisdom. And the wisdom of Christ as we get into our text. He begins in verse 12 by saying, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. These are echoes of the words that, he, that were mentioned in verse 1 where he says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. It's important, though, to look at the shift from speaking in the third person to speaking in the first person. It gives more character to the text as we consider this is his... His diary, as Pastor Tim has said. And so he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, a great king. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. He applied his heart. The language here is this idea that he gave it everything that he had. Not just his mind, not just his body, not just his will. Everything that he had went into this mission in pursuing wisdom. 
This should provide reassurance to us that what he is saying is no joke. It wasn't half-hearted. It wasn't just a quick glance. He gave everything that he had in pursuit of this mission to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. In my Bible, the ESV uh, Bible, the, I think the editor's uh, title is a little bit uh, misleading because he says the vanity of wisdom right before verse 12. I don't know what your Bible says, but it's interesting and I think it's important to point out that the, the preacher went after this mission by wisdom, indicating that he already possessed wisdom, whether a lot or a little, we're not sure, but he went out by wisdom. And surely as the great king over Israel and Jerusalem, he had the means and the understanding to try and accomplish this sort of mission, which gives us trust that we can take his, his words and understand them. The theme of wisdom is, is huge for the, for the book of Ecclesiastes. It's mentioned 44 times throughout the, the whole book. And this passage is really an introduction to his journey. And over the course of the, the coming weeks and months, I'm sure that we will talk more and more about wisdom. In fact, when we look at other passages, you might even think that what he says here gets reversed in a way. I was reminded this morning of a day when I was working at Camp Allendale. It was a Tuesday or a Thursday, not really significant. And uh, we would have to often have people come and they would park in, our, in the driveway and uh, we'd go out there and we'd ask them. And I went out there this one day. This couple got out and they were in uh, just like T-shirts and shorts. And, uh, and they asked me, hey, how, how can we hike San Jacinto? It was February. You know, so a great idea. I was like, well, do you guys have like trekking poles or crampons or snowshoes? Because or... I, I think it had recently snowed even though it was like 65 or 70 degrees. I'm like, No. And I was like, well, what about like, like they had like two little water bottles. And I was like, I think you might need more water than that. So I advised them to go into town and to think about doing a different hike. But my point is that, that they, they went about this mission and, and they weren't wise. They didn't really know what they were getting into. They didn't know what they were after. They just thought, oh, we'll drive up. We were, they were staying in Palm Springs. We'll drive up and we'll go on a hike. So let's do San Jacinto. Not the best idea. Then he, the preacher, he looks ahead at his, at his mission and he summarizes his conclusion for us at the start. And in somewhat of a blunt fashion, in verses 13 and 14, he tells us his findings. They're parallel in many ways uh, in terms of the verses. You see in the, in the beginning, all that is done under heaven is the same as everything that is done under the sun. And then his conclusion as well, it is an unhappy business. All is vanity and a striving after the wind. The word for unhappy in the, in the Hebrew is, is often translated evil or bad of, or of no value. It's objectionable work. It's disapproved of. And that's what he finds is that the work that God has given to man is contemptible, objectionable, or disapproved of. Doesn't that make you feel real good? Mondays, you go to work, and then you pay your bills. And then you go to work again, and you pay your bills again. And then you go to work again, and you pay your bills again. And you're like, oh, maybe, maybe this one day it'll stop. But that's what God has given to us. That's the burden, the unhappy business that we have. 
It's a look back at the curse of Genesis 3 in which Jesus he spoke to not Jesus in which God he spoke to, to Adam in the garden. And in verses 17 through 19 it says and he and to Adam he said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return I think in many ways you can hear the language of Genesis 3 and see how the, the preacher is struggling with this throughout the whole book. The curse given to man was one of frustration. And the preacher gives us words to that frustration. He goes on this mission to seek out and to search all that is done under heaven in wisdom. And he comes back frustrated. And that is why in verse 14, the preacher repeats the familiar phrase, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. As you know by now through our study that this word for vanity is debated about how best to translate it. Some say meaningless. Others like to say futile. Still others suggest absurd. It could be breath. It could be vapor. I think for us, it's, it's, it's helpful to understand it as absurd this morning. When the preacher says that everything is vanity, he is saying everything is beyond human apprehension and comprehension. There is nothing about which one can say, I have it. I understand it. All is outside of our control. It's all outside of our mastery. And if you're not convinced, he follows it up by saying, the, with the companion phrase, a striving after the wind... You can't catch it. You can't put it in a box. I can't put it in my pocket. It always is, fle is fleeting. In a big way, the preacher gives us the language of frustration that falls in us because of the sin in the world that we live with. And he provides us with a great summary statement of this problem, this frustration in verse 15, where the result of wisdom is found out. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. The preacher is expressing a view that can be fairly described as complete resignation to the way things are. He's saying, I, that's how it is. And they can't be changed. And this theme he returns to over and over and over again and the reality for him is that the crooked things are just crooked and the things that can't be, that can't be counted stay, stay lacking. He resigns himself to the truth of the matter that the crooked stays crooked and that we need somehow, some way to find a way to make it straight. If you look ahead in Ecclesiastes to chapter 7, verse 13, the frustration is even more pointed to to God. Chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He has made crooked? And I think we wonder to ourselves oftentimes that we will fix things. We can make this straight. I'll solve this problem. 
But the preacher reminds us in Ecclesiastes that the problem is, is still there. You can turn back to, to chapter 1 if you would like. And then he gets a little bit more pointed in his, in his mission. And he says in verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. If there was a university, he was the chair of the university. He had read all the books. He had studied all the languages. He had covered all the subjects. And then what he found is best captured in verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Doesn't that make you want to go to school? I remember when I first went away to college in, in, in Chicago, my first class, I was like, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. And then you go to your next class, you're like, yep, haven't thought about that either. And then you finish the semester, you finish the year, and you come home and you're like, man, I have way more questions than I did answers, than I do answers. The word vexation here also carries the connotation of irritation and anger. So he says, for in much wisdom is much irritation. And much wisdom is much anger. And he who increases knowledge also increases his own pain. It's not a very comforting thought, but I think it's helpful for us to look at life under the sun and realize that we are lost in ourselves. And I hope that you can begin to relate to the frustration that the preacher feels when he goes about on his mission. Life is certainly absurd, is the conclusion that he comes to. And that's the truth that we are left with here today, if it was up to us. At my house right now, we've been watching the Dodgers play baseball. I grew up watching the Dodgers in this season. It's certainly been fun to watch as they uh, have been winning a ton. Uh, we have uh, the Spectrum, which is the, where the Dodgers channel, you can, you can get it, but uh, they play reruns of games on the next morning. And so sometimes when, when, they, when we miss the game, we'll watch the rerun in the morning. And one, one day, I already knew that the Dodgers lost. But we turned the game on and, and we watched this rerun and the Dodgers losing. We didn't, I didn't finish the whole thing. But it's, it's, it's stupidity. It's absurd. Because people come into bat and we're like, oh, maybe he'll get a hit. Maybe he'll hit a double or a single. But he strikes out. And you're like, oh, well, they're down, but maybe they'll come back. And, and you're like, no, they're going to lose. You already know the, you know the ending. It's absurd, but I think sometimes we, we live our life thinking that we're watching this rerun, and then we already know the end. We already know how it's going to end. And we feel this frustration. We feel this anger. We're, we're filled with irritation. But the good news this morning is that the wisdom that we are faced with in Chapter 1 carries out and is changed and shifted throughout the course of redemptive history through God's Word and His Scripture. Biblical wisdom is, is a vast topic with lots of layers throughout all of Scripture. What Proverbs has to say about wisdom is going to be different from what the preacher has to say about in Ecclesiastes. And what Jesus has to say about wisdom is different as well. Jesus, He was on a mission but not on the same mission as the preacher. Rather than living life under the heaven or under the sun, Jesus came from the heavens in order to make crooked what in order to make straight what was crooked. 
and to make what was lacking abundant. When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's not a ton of information about Jesus' childhood, but the Gospel of Luke is helpful for us this morning because he does share a little bit about Jesus' upbringing. In Luke 2.40, he says, And the child grew strong and grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And then again in Luke 2.52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You would certainly not say that Jesus didn't possess wisdom before he came down, but as a child, as a human, he grew in wisdom. In the same way, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he says, I was a great king over Jerusalem, but we know that an even greater king came after him. This King Jesus, who before he came, God gave us John the Baptist, who we read about in the beginning chapters of the Gospels, and specifically here in Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, he says, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. We can begin to see that the theme of wisdom is carried on in the New Testament. God has way more to say to us about wisdom than just the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. The frustration of the preacher is answered by the satisfaction that is found in Jesus Christ. The crookedness of the world as the preacher sees it is made straight by the crucifixion of the greatest and wisest King Jesus. And the paradigm of wisdom that we have and knowledge leading to vexation and suffering is turned on its head when the Apostle Paul writes in his letter about the salvation of God in Christ Jesus. In his letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, 18 through 25, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul shifts the paradigm for us in which the crooked is no longer crooked, and what is lacking is no longer lacking. And he continues in verses 30 and 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. As Pastor Tim has pointed out, you really can't understand Ecclesiastes without understanding how it ends. 
And I think God is teaching us this morning that we really can't understand ourselves and, and unless we understand how it ends. For us, we will die. We will get old. I turned 30 this year. And it's, it's feeling old. I get out of bed in the morning and my back hurts and I have a... I know you guys are laughing, but hey. I'm feeling it. There was one day when I thought that I would live forever. But I'm realizing that I come, come way short. Especially when I have to lean over and pick up my baby out of the, out of the pack and play and lean all the way over in the morning when my back is, is not warmed up at all. I've been working at the Idlewild Inn this summer as well, uh, cutting firewood and splitting firewood and moving firewood, and my back has not thanked me yet. <laughs> I know how it's going to end, and you know how it's going to end. And the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes gives us a real message, and he says, look, the crooked cannot be made straight. But when we look at Christ who came to make straight what was crooked, it should cause us to take a step back and wonder about our life and where we are headed and what we are doing and for what purpose we live. As you know, I have a very imaginative and creative two-year-old that lives in my house. Her name's Cora. And she likes to pretend a lot. One of my favorite things that she's done lately is that at bedtime, uh, when she should be sleeping and sometimes she's not, she'll open up the, uh, the flashlight that, that she has in her bed and she'll pull out the two batteries there. And she likes to pretend that they're salt and pepper shakers. And so she'll salt and pepper her pillow and then salt and pepper her stuffed animals and she'll salt and pepper her blankets. And we tell her, hey, you should try going to sleep. And she's like, oh, you want some salt and pepper? <laughs> She likes to pretend a lot. A couple weeks ago, we were at my parents' house in Ventura, and my, my mom, Grammy J, went in to wake up Cora from her nap, and she laid down next to her on the bed, and she was talking about Elmo and Cookie Monster, who have been uh, sleeping in her bed for a long time. And she asked, oh, do you think Cookie Monster's hungry? And Cora said, Grammy J, Cookie Monster no real, let's pretend. And I think for us, we can learn from Cora's words and say, we need to stop pretending. The preacher, he teaches us that in the end, we're going to die. That the wisdom that he went after, he found vexation and he found sorrow. And that the crooked can't be made straight. But we know through the Gospels in the New Testament that Jesus Christ has come to make straight what was crooked, to heal that which was broken, and to make right what was made wrong so long ago in the garden. You see, Jesus, he reversed this for us so that when we go after wisdom, and he is wisdom, we can understand and grow in wisdom and understanding of God. Ecclesiastes, in many ways, is a stumping book. You read it and you don't know. And that's what the preacher tells us this morning. But if you continue to read it, you know that Jesus Christ was a greater king a wiser king where his crucifixion corrected the crooked and where the frustration that the preacher felt he satisfied. And that's the, the application for us this morning as we consider his word is if your life is still crooked, 
if your life is still lacking, if you have no hope, Jesus is the answer for those things. That's the thought I want to leave with you this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are humbled by your word. We are thankful, Father, for the words of the preacher who speaks our frustration in a world that is cursed with sin. And yet we rejoice, Father, that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is enough. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to die a terrible death so that our lives might be corrected, that our lives might be made straight. Thank you, Father, for the goodness that we have, that even though when we face suffering, when we face pain, that we know that He has suffered with us and that He knows our pain. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in Your goodness to us. We thank You for being wisdom for us. We pray all this in Your name.